Welcome back into the Sports Mill Podcast. On today's episode, we are fully, finally diving into football. And we're talking about college football today. We're doing a full SEC preview. Sully and I are going to go through all the teams. Uh, we're going to hit, of course, Alabama and Georgia, all the major ones. But then we're going to rank the teams in tiers, kind of give you an idea where we think these teams are going to stand this year and kind of what to expect uh, from each team. Obviously, we're not going to spend you know, 20, 30 minutes on every team, but we're going to do our best to kind of cover uh, a lot of the things we think need to be talked about. And so that's going to be our episode today, mainly SEC-focused. Obviously, that's what most of you, most people that listen to this are going to be pulling for an SEC team. And, of course, we're going to talk about it shortly, but the SEC is also the best conference uh, in college football. But to start today, Sully doesn't know I'm going to do this, but I'm going to, I'm going to expose him. Uh, for the second time, I think, in within the month, the guest joining me has been engaged very recently. So congrats, Sully, on being engaged. Really proud of you. And, Thank uh, you. Thank you. So now Dexter and Sully both, that, you heard it here first. You come on this podcast, you get married. So anybody, anybody looking to get engaged, just hop on here real quick. <laughs> All right, with that being said, that's the most important thing on this episode. Let's talk about college football. Um, we're, we're doing an SEC preview. I'm an Alabama fan. You're a Florida fan. You go to Alabama, so that's obviously what we follow the best. But, you know, for a while, the SEC has been the best league. Uh, it continues to produce the most NFL talent. You know, the, the national championships speak for themselves. So heading into this season, you know, I think it's, it's pretty obvious the SEC is going to have a lot of good teams. But is it still a huge gap between – the rest of college football and the SEC, um, as far as the quality and, and you know of the teams and the players in it. Yeah, I think top to bottom, I, I would have to say yes. I, I don't see any. I mean, obviously, I, at this point, it's really an SEC Big Ten discussion. I, I don't really know that there's much else to talk about with many of the other conferences and top end talent. Like, I think I'd I, I know I'd rather have Alabama and Georgia than Ohio State and Michigan. And I think the SEC just has more teams that could be good than the Big Ten. Like, even when you look at the back end of the top 25, you know, Cincinnati, Ole Miss, Kentucky, those teams are rounding out the top 25. But you also have teams that we're going to talk about later. Like, Tennessee's not in the top 25. You know, LSU's not in the top 25. Florida's not in the top 25. There's a lot of teams that in the SEC to where, you know, Mississippi State's another one. I think there's a group of about seven, eight, maybe eight teams where not all of them are going to be good. There's going to be maybe two or three that are pretty bad. There's going to be two or three that are decent, and there's going to be a few that are, are better than we expect. But that that depth and the ability to kind of cycle year over year, I think, is what may, what puts the SEC at the top. Along with the fact that when you you know you look at the very top of college football, the the talent is superior in most seasons. So yeah, I think this is another year where we're going to be saying that. And honestly, maybe the last year we have this conversation because when Oklahoma and Texas are, are joining in a, in a year, I don't even know how you you know, compare after that. Even as USC and UCLA make the move, that that's still a bonus for the SEC. So it feels like this is only going to get more drastic as that realignment continues to occur. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. And I think specifically this year, like you said, going into the year, I haven't been as excited about the potential of so many teams. And I know you can talk yourself into that every year with every team, but I do genuinely think there are nine to 10 teams in the SEC that if things go right, could win 
nine to 10 games. So, you know, I think that's exciting. And obviously they're still going to be the cream of the crop, which we'll talk about here in a minute. Um, but there's certainly a lot of exciting teams to watch out for uh, in the SEC. And we've, we've already talked about college football realignment, you know, pretty heavily on this podcast. But like you said, once Texas and Oklahoma join, that gap is only going to get bigger. And in general, I mean, the conferences are shrinking by the day. There really is only going to be two conferences that even have the, you know, a chance. And that's the Big Ten and the SEC. So I, I just think that this is the beginning of the end as far as, you know, there's the competitiveness in between conferences at this point. Yeah, it also feels like the – I wonder if an unintended consequence of all this realignment is going to be that we don't hate the other conference as much because it's not going to feel like, you know, when when Oklahoma is representing the SEC, are the SEC fans really going to be like, oh, yeah, like this is – like we love Oklahoma now. Like we – I think it's going to take some time for that to happen. And, you know, the same thing with like USC. Am I really going to be like, oh, wow, you know, USC, the big the big, big 10 representative in a bowl game? Like I think that might um, slow down a little bit of the conference arguments because at this point it, it doesn't really feel like a true – you know, regional discussion as much as it did in the past. Yeah, that's a good point because, it's, like you said, USC, it's going to be hard for a Michigan fan to want to get behind USC in a bowl game. Like, oh, yeah, they're repping the Big Ten. It's like, you know, you're six, you know, 600, however many miles, thousands of miles apart. So it doesn't really have the same, you know, representation. Yeah, for sure. All right. Uh, we'll start talking about the SEC now, and specifically, that's what we want to do. And we want to go through every team, kind of talk about, give you a full preview. How we're going to do this is just talk about the SEC today. When we get closer to the first week, we'll kind of, you know, preview a lot of those games and maybe the national picture. But we're just going to go through the SEC and and specifically what you should watch out for for each team. So first of all, we're going to rank them into tiers. I'll go ahead and tell you the tiers, but we haven't actually decided how we're going to place these teams yet because I wanted to do that on the episode, except for tier one, and that's the cream of the crop. And that's Alabama and Georgia, and we'll talk about them in a minute. Tier two is potential contenders to Alabama and Georgia. Tier three is solid bowl teams, maybe sneak into non-wins. And then tier four is the mediocre and bottom feeders of the league, uh, which, as I said, doesn't seem to be very many this year. So let's start with Alabama and Georgia. And I think it's it's a, it's safe to say that we can put them in a tier of their own for now just because well, they've been a lot better than the rest of the SEC the last couple of years, especially considering they were the ones in the national championship game. So to respect Georgia beating where I go to school and my favorite team, we'll start with them. We talked a ton about, you know, as the NFL draft was coming up, just how great the prospects they produced were, how great that defense was. So the first question I think we got to talk about coming into this year is how will the defense look solely now that they have to replace all that NFL talent. I know as a Florida fan, you don't want it to be anywhere near as good as it was last year. Yeah, I mean, they're so talented, I have a hard time seeing it still not being great. I mean, Jalen Carter is a guy on the the interior defensive line that people expect to be a top 10, potentially a top 5 pick. You know, on the interior defensive line, he's he's gotten some comparisons to Quinnen Williams, so that kind of gives you the level of player that you're looking at there. Nolan Smith is a guy that I think people expect to kind of be the maybe the biggest name on their defense at linebacker this year. And then they have guys with experience coming back. Like I think Keely Ringo is a guy, you know, we saw him make the big play in the national championship game with the pick six. He's a very highly touted recruit that will be stepping into a much larger role now. But 
I do think that there is reason to at least be skeptical, even if maybe concerned is not the right word, because they're returning three defensive starters. Like That's a very big blow to a team where all of those starters were NFL caliber players. So it, it it's not to say that these guys replacing them won't be good, but it's going to be almost impossible to replicate what they had going last year. And, and I think we'll talk about this in a little bit, but that's actually going to require their offense to, I think, even be better than they were last year if, if they want to remain as good of a team as they were. Because I, I don't think you can depend on a generational defense last year. And so, you know, there was a lot of talk about last year, like sticking with Stetson Bennett. They were able to do that and play the way they were offensively because the defense was so historically great. And I think we're going to have to see that change a little bit this year because the defense still might be the best in the SEC. You know, it's pro- I would guess it'll be Alabama. But the, I could see them being that good. But the offense is, it's not, the defense is not going to be historically great. So the offense is going to have to make some leaps. Yeah. And I think, you know, when talking about their defense this year, it's going to be easy to say, well, this isn't last year's defense. But the thing is, there were so many guys on that team that this year's defense will probably be similar. It's just they don't have as many like first you know, first round NFL draft picks. I mean, they have, you mentioned some of them, but yeah, I mean, Jalen Carter is somebody who, is going to go really high in the draft. Nolan Smith, um, you know, you mentioned the defensive back guys that are returning. So the guys are still there. It's just across the board, there may not be as recognizable names. And like you said, it's just so hard to replace those guys and and just keep the same level of, of intensity on defense. But you brought up a really good point. What we want to move into next is I don't think no matter what, the defense is going to be championship level, at least allow them to compete. But the worry for Georgia in what it was last year, and I still think you could argue they lose that national championship game if Alabama has some guys healthy, and it's not like they played great on offense. It was just the defense. So how concerned should Georgia fans be that the offense is just still, even after winning a national championship, not there, especially with Stetson Bennett at quarterback? Yeah, I think this is going to be one of those situations where there's just so much talent around them, and especially now with JT Daniels transferring that they're really not going to be forced to make a change until it potentially could be too late. And, you know, they have Carson Beck now as a redshirt sophomore. He's a guy that was a very highly touted recruit. I don't know that that is a guy that's going to be able to put enough pressure on the coaching staff to really have a change there. Like, I think this year there's going to be a lot less discussion about who their starting quarterback is going to be. It feels like Bennett is just going to be that guy. And with the talent they have on this offense, you know, Kiaris Jackson, Adonai Mitchell at wide receiver, and then they have maybe the best tight end room like in history of college football. I mean, you're talking about like Brock Bowers or Reed Gilbert. Like that's a ridiculously good room there. And Darnell Washington as well. So I I see enough talent on the roster especially offensively where I don't think, I mean, I still think they'll probably be like a top three, top four offense efficiency wise, but I have questions when they play the best of the best, are they actually going to be able to get into a shootout with a team and win? Because we saw last year, even in the SEC championship game, when Alabama was healthy, they got in a shootout and they lost. And I don't think they can depend on their defense to do what they did in the national championship last year. So that's what I want to know. And I, I think Bennett will be, but he'll be better than he was last year. Probably it's another year with the offense under his belt and the offense is extremely talented, but I, I, that's what I want to know is like when it, when it gets down to, you know, we're talking about Alabama and Georgia here when it's a shootout with Bryce Young and Stetson Bennett, 
but can they step up and make those plays? I mean, yeah, I, I echo everything you just said. And my thing with Georgia's offense is they did enough to win last year. And, you know, you can say, well, they won a national championship. But the thing is, is college football in general just wasn't that great last year. And we'll talk about Alabama in a minute and how I want to hit on Saban's comments about what he said about last year was for Alabama. But Georgia really didn't have a reason not to win. Like, I mean, Stetson Bennett, honestly, was the reason they almost didn't, even though he won a national championship. And so, like you said, the talent is there still. The tight ends are ridiculous. They have some wide receivers coming off injury. But I still have not seen enough from Stetson Bennett to say, he's going to win them a big game if they're actually playing an elite team. Not to say they didn't beat elite teams last year because they did. But like you said, in an offensive shootout, I'm never going to believe in Stetson Bennett until it happens. Yeah. And that's, that's the most difficult thing. And I think people, you know, the natural reaction is to be like, well, they just won a national championship. How can you still be doubting this guy at quarterback? And I, I think it's very hard to, you know, if, if you're a Georgia fan, it's very hard to, to say these things at the same time. Like, we had the best defense in college football history, and we lost in the SEC championship to a team and then squeaked out a win in the national championship. I feel like if you have the best defense in college football history, it should be more comfortable than that. You should be one of the better teams ever. And there's only one thing, there's, there's only one side of the ball other than the defense that can really be holding you back from that. And so... It's not to say they weren't good offensively. Like when you have this much talent, it doesn't matter. Like Carson Beck could be at quarterback this year. Brock Vandegrift, their fresher freshman, could be at quarterback this year. It doesn't matter. They're going to be good because they have so much talent. The question, is, like you said, is like, you know, when they're in a game this year that's unlike last year where they actually have to score, you know, 30, maybe 40 points to win, can they do that? Because, you know, we're going we're gonna to talk about Alabama. If Alabama was able to put up 40 last year, why wouldn't they be able to do that this year? They're probably going to be better offensively this year than they were last year. And I think there's no way you can say George is going to be better defensively. Like that, I don't think anybody is saying that. So, yeah, I I do have questions about this team, but I also want to say, like, that's because I'm viewing them through the lens of, like, can they win the national championship? Like, this is still, without a doubt, like, at, at probably at worst, the fourth best team in the country. So they're, they're going to be great. They have a chance to win a national championship for sure. Yeah, it's not, and I know everybody's going to be thinking like, wow, you know, look at the Alabama guy just being upset that they lost. And I mean, I am upset we lost, but that's not the case at all. I mean, Georgia was so dominant last year. And it's just the fact that, you know, looking at how everything played out, like you said, you know, the national championship game is a good result. They won a national championship. That's the best you can achieve. But even watching that game, I mean, it wasn't like the offense played great. I mean, Stetson Bennett made several mistakes, and then at the end of the game, he made the plays he needed to to win, and the defense stepped up, and that was that, and they beat Alabama to win a national championship. And like you said, they're going to be great this year, but as far as Georgia's expectations now, and, and this is, you know, you should be thanking me that I'm putting them on this level, is we're not looking for 10 wins anymore, and then an exit, you know, in the SEC championship game. We're looking for a national championship level, and you do you seriously believe that Stetson Bennett is the quarterback that you want to rely on if it takes the offense winning the game? I'm not there yet, even though he won one. So that's all I'm saying. And maybe you know they come out and they still they're 
they're better, you know, this year in some areas than they were last year. But you, I don't think you still can say they figured everything out because, as we're about to talk about Alabama, it would just have the circumstances were very good for Georgia to beat them last year. Yeah, and I will say too, it's it's not just like I don't I know Stetson Bennett obviously is the most important part. I also think it's a little bit of the way they choose to run their offense. They're like they they still haven't fully, I think evolved into what a lot of teams do and I think that's just because they haven't had to yet I wonder if that will be forced to change a little bit this year but at the same time I do think they're gonna still probably play heavier sets because Brock Bowers and Darnell Washington are on this team like I think those guys have to be on the field so they I think this year they might still be able to get away with playing a little bit more of that style but I'll, I'll be curious to watch that over the, over the next few years because I think Georgia has been a little slower to adapt offensively and they really haven't had to yet so uh, I'll be curious to watch that and yeah like you said I mean obviously I go to Alabama like I picked Georgia to win the national championship game last year so I'm I have no issue with with them their talent but this year does I think it's the standard is going to be a little higher and I think we'll get to that as we talk about Alabama yeah, let's move into Alabama now because, you know, I want to I want to start with Saban's comment because I think you, you can take it out of context in both ways, um, and I saw a really good argument for what he said, and I've seen stuff against it, obviously. But he made the comment that last year was a rebuilding year for Alabama, and everybody threw their hands up and was like, "How can you say that? You elitist, you privileged, you know, you made the national championship game, you won the SEC championship, you beat Georgia." And yes, all those things are true. Like you, Bama should not, we should be content with what we did last year and should not complain. That is a fact. But at the same time, I think you could also make a really good case that it was a rebuilding year for Alabama. And if you have, if you don't know who Josh Pate is, go look him up on Twitter because he posted a really good video about it. But we lost pretty much, we lost eight, I think, NFL starters on our offense from the previous year. We had a new quarterback all-new wide receiver core, all-new pretty much uh, offensive line. The defense was a lot, of, you know, a lot of new people. And then we lost, you know, Mechie and Williams to injury. So, obviously, that's not, you know, we had them, so we weren't rebuilding. But in a lot of ways, last year was a gap year to this year. And my point is saying this. If you want to complain and say Alabama last year wasn't a rebuilding year, okay, we'll get ready for this year because, I mean, obviously I can't predict the future, but on paper, Alabama is so much better than they were last year. And so that's why I'm worried about Georgia. And it's not just because I go to Alabama, but how more dominant is Alabama going to be this year? And they were already competing for a national championship last year. Yeah, I I think this team's going to be better than the 2020 national championship team. Like this roster is absurd. I mean, they – the, the transfer portal has just completely unlocked this this roster to a whole nother level. And, you know, the, Jermaine Burton, wide receiver coming in, Tyler Harrell, the, the more explosive sp- speed threat, Jameer Gibbs at running back. I think if, you know, we're going to talk about Bryce Young's Heisman candidacy a little bit. I think Jameer Gibbs is a guy that has a good chance at, out of the backfield as well. They bring in Eli Ricks as well on the defensive, in the defensive backfield. Like, even the positions you could have been concerned about going into this year, and I think wide receiver probably would have been the biggest one, those holes are plugged. Like, I don't see anywhere on this roster really where I'm concerned. I mean, even, you know, last year I felt like people were a little concerned about the secondary. I saw 
you know, PFF was ranking their top 10 safeties coming into this year. Alabama had three guys listed in the top, in their top 10 going into this year. Um, obviously, Will Anderson is going to be dominant and, and a guy that also could potentially win the Heisman. I, rem- I remember at the end of last year, I said, I think there's a chance Dallas Turner could lead the team in sacks next year. You know, Will Anderson probably will, but I, I still think that's true because of how much attention is going to be devoted to him. I think he kind of jumped off the screen as a young guy last year. So, yeah, I mean, I don't know what else to say other than I I think this team, you know, spoiler alert, I think they're going to win the national championship, and I think they're going to be better than the, than the year with Mack and Smitty. Yeah, I want to I want to start with the, the defense. And, you know, you make a, an interesting statement, you know, saying they could be better than that 2020 team just because that was such a dominant team on offense. But normally, a, a college football team defense is really what separates you because now and nowadays everybody scores. It's just how it is. But a de- if you have a good defense, it separates you, and that's something Alabama. I know privileged again. We've still had good defenses, but it's been a while since we've had a, what I would say an, a super elite defense. And I actually don't think last year's was as much of a problem as people made it out to be. We had some other holes, mainly offensive line and run game, um, but. Now we have Will Anderson coming back. You know how good he is. Dallas Turner's coming back. Uh, you Hopefully Chris Braswell is kind of what Dallas Turner was last year. You have Toa Toa returning at linebacker. You have other experienced linebackers. And then you mentioned how good the secondary should be with Eli Ricks and all those safeties. So there's really not any more holes, at least on paper, on this defense. And so I think you know as much as people want to talk about Bryce Young and how good the offense was last year, I think the defense is what separates this team from being a normal, like you know, what we've seen the last couple of years, Alabama team, and like this could be something, like you said, even better than any version we've seen in the last couple of years. Yeah, and that's the big thing when I when I look at you know there, I, I really like to look at like returning starters, just kind of see like how different is this team going to be from last year. Alabama's got eight, and a few of those guys were guys that we thought were going to go to the NFL draft, like Henry Toa Toa is back for another year. I think Jordan Battle was a guy that a lot of people expected to not be back on campus this year. And then they've got a few guys who they're just lucky weren't draft eligible yet. You know, like Bryce Young and Will Anderson both would have been top five picks in last year's draft. So that so much talent is returning that feels like already should be in the NFL. That This roster is just stacked, you know, especially even on offense, they've only, they've got five returning starters, which is maybe around average, but they have four transfers that are likely going to be starting on this team. So just because these guys have not played for Alabama doesn't mean that they haven't proven that they're very quality college players. So e- even the spots that are, are have a little higher turnover, I, I still am very certain about how good those players are. So yeah, like I, I we're, I know we're kind of just gushing over this, this roster, this offense, but even, you know, I was looking at some talent composite rankings before this, just trying to get an understanding of like based on p- recruiting rankings, like where these teams are, Alabama, there's a bigger gap, at least in this system. You know, everybody's kind of got their own way of calculating this. Alabama, there's a bigger gap between them and Georgia than there is a gap between Georgia and A&M right now. And I think that reflects, you know, the the roster that we're looking at is just, it's completely stacked right now. Yeah, and, you know, as much as, you know, we go to Alabama, so obviously we want the team to do well. But... (laughs) You know, it's no secret that Alabama's going to be good. Like, we're not being homers there, right? We, when's the last time we've lost three games? I mean, 
or at least one less than double digits. It's been like 14 years or something like that. So we know they're going to be good. It's just how good can they be? And like you said, this roster for so many reasons stacks up, you know, better than any other one we've seen. But with that being said, I do want to point out a negative thing or not negative thing, but a question mark. And I do think the offense has some question marks coming in. I don't want to say blanketly that it's going to be amazing because you don't know how Bryce is going to look from year to year. We've seen this where a quarterback wins the Heisman, and they're just not the same the next year. They, they can't replicate it. And I don't think he'll have a problem of being good, but that doesn't necessarily mean the team success is going to come with it. They lost, you know, all their wide receivers. They're having to, they brought in Burton, Harrell, you know, they're letting some of the ones they've tried to develop from, you know, freshmen into better players. Jameer Gibbs, you mentioned, is the running back. They have to find some kind of good offensive line. They they could not last year. So there are definitely some questions. I just wonder, with as much talent as it takes, it's not a matter of if, but when. When, when during the season are they going to get up to speed? And I think at that point, if they finally find that, you know, high gear where everything's clicking – it's scary for the rest of the for the rest of college football. Yeah, it's interesting. I was a little, I was a little lower on Bryce like early in the season last year. Like I, I thought he was good, but it's very hard to look bad when you're playing with this much talent. And I thought like there were some, you know, he he didn't look completely comfortable yet. You know, a little bit jumpy back in the pocket. You know, there was some deep ball accuracy issues early on that I think we've talked about, but. As the year went on, I thought he got so much better, and especially in the Georgia game, like the SEC championship, I like that was about as close to a perfect quarterback game that I think you can play. You know, we, even the Auburn drive, like going back and watching that, the the drive he led towards the end of the game after just getting just destroyed the whole game, having no time to throw. Like, I honestly, I I think Bryce may have a better year this year in, in totality. But I don't know if that means he'll win the Heisman because I think last year we kind of just saw that there was a pretty weak field last year in terms of Heisman winners. I think most people just kind of said, okay, yeah, I guess like Bryce wins by default. Like there's not really anybody else we can make an argument for, which, you know, we can talk. It should, probably should have been like Aiden Hutchinson or Will Anderson that should have been made arguments for. But in terms of those quarterbacks, he, he had pretty clearly separated himself. And based on how he ended the year, like I, I think he's just going to take the next step and, and prove like why. The, the end of last year is more the quarterback that, that he's going to be. Yeah, we, you know, I have in our outline to talk about his Heisman chances because I think, you know, it's, it's just so hard nowadays when there's a narrative that you're the best player in the league or you're the best player in college to come back and like top what you did because everybody's going to be looking for you to be this Herculean player. And sometimes even if they're better, it's, it's like you just don't think they're living up to what you want them to be. And so that's what I worry about for him is that, yeah, I agree with you. I think he found a comfort level at the end of last year, even with a bad offensive line, that is really hard to find. And he'll probably have more success this year with another year under his belt. But yeah, his Heisman chances, I, I honestly would not bet on him unless he's just so unbelievably amazing statistically and they blow everybody out that it's obvious it's him. But I think you made a good point. You know, we could look for, I don't think this will happen, but like a Jameer Gibbs or even like a, you know, Tyler Harrell, if, if he has a Devontae Smith type season, which is hard to do nowadays. But, you know, these these skilled players might get a lot more shine this year than Bryce Young does. 
Yeah, and especially I think like the the you know the fun take that's going to be every year is like, oh, you know, like Bryce Young won the Heisman last year, but he's actually not the best player on his team. Like, you know, Will Anderson's actually the best player on this team. So I think it's really, really hard for defensive guys to win the Heisman with only one year because, you know, it's such a narrative thing that it, it takes usually until like the draft guys come in and start talking like, hey, this guy, like he's really dominant. And last year, that didn't happen as much with Anderson because he wasn't draft eligible. Like, A. Hutchison was kind of the guy that got more of that attention because he was the guy that everybody looked at. I was like, you know, he could be the number one pick. So, to me, if there is a defensive player that has a chance to win the Heisman, it feels like Anderson is going to have the best opportunity. Like, his quarterback already won the Heisman, so that's going to help. They're going to be probably the best team in the country. And he already has the proven year of success and is going into the year as most people's number one overall player, uh, you know, obviously a quarterback could get taken above him in the draft because that's how positional need works. But I think there's no questions like who the best player in college football is right now. So if there's any defensive player that's going to win it, it feels like it could be him. But, you know, we still know like guys like CJ Stroud at Ohio State, like he's a guy that's going to have a great shot to win because their offense could be better than Alabama's. Like I, I think they're, they're a team that we may not necessarily focus on in the SEC preview, but they're, they're going to be one of the biggest threats to teams like Alabama and Georgia. So with Anderson, I, I I like his chances more than a normal defensive player, but there's still just going to be some people that look at the quarterback and say, I- I'm going with him. And so I think there's a chance that these guys end up splitting votes as well, which could you know prevent either of them because we know Heisman voting is sometimes a regional thing. Like Guys will kind of vote for people from, from their area, from their conference, who they're watching on a weekly basis. So It'll be interesting to see how it unfolds, and a lot of it, I think, will just come down to you know how Alabama wins their bigger games. Like, what are the big moments come down to? Does Will Anderson get a strip sack on, in a game against A and M, or is it Bryce Young, you know, throwing a game-winning touchdown? I, I think that's probably the most important thing to to follow it as we watch the Heisman race unfold. The stage is definitely set for Will Anderson to have a Heisman type year, but my fear with him is that you know, being a defensive player. You, statistics win Heisman's at the end of the day. I mean, obviously, you know, the best player doesn't always win. And so because he's on defense, it's going to be easier to scheme him out of the game. And, and you know, you know offenses are going to know where he is, so they're going to try everything in their power to go away from him, which will make it harder for him to garner statistics. Now, I think he's good enough to still make an impact, but it's just how much can he make with all that attention. That's what scares me about his chances of winning the Heisman, and in that way, I think he had a better chance last year because he wasn't as well-known. Um, but, you know, like you said, there's so much talent on the defense and offense in general that he still will make an impact. So I think that's going to be interesting, like you said, to see which Bama player kind of gets the most steam towards winning the Heisman. I hope it's Will Anderson, but, um, yeah, we'll just have to see, you know, you know how the talent is allocated and, and what it shakes out to be. Yeah, and I, I think the point you made especially about the defensive player statistics is an important one because it's it's really hard for a quarterback playing well to not put up stats, but this is something we've seen the past couple of years where towards the end of the year, you know, Chase Young, his, his sack started to slow down a little bit. Aiden Hutchinson was the same way, like didn't really put up numbers against Georgia, you know, slowed down a little bit more as the season went on because teams decided, like, we're just not letting him beat us. Like, we'll, Even though David Ajabo on the other side is a great player, we're going to pick our battles with him. And I definitely think Anderson could face that even to a more exaggerated way because both Young and, um, and Aiden Hutchinson had hype coming into the year. But 
I don't know that either of those guys were looked at as the way Anderson was going into the year. And so the, the respect he gets from defense or from offensive coordinators is probably going to even be to a greater degree. So I, I agree. I think that's probably the biggest battle that he faces because with the quarterback, the quarterback is really the only position in terms of when you're talking about the Heisman that is, or I would I don't know if I'd say only, but I'd say they're the least dependent on everything else around them and the way teams are scheming. Because if you're great, you're going to have the opportunity. You're going to have the ball in your hands. Even like receivers, you know, Devontae, does Devontae win the Heisman if Waddle doesn't get hurt, right? That, that opportunity has to be available for you. And I think that's true for defensive players as well. Yeah, all really good points. And, you know, like you said, a lot of, unfortunately, because the quarterbacks always are going to have their ball in, the, ball in their hands, the statistics, and I can't speak, the statistics kind of just come naturally. But for wide receivers who have multiple options, for defenders who garner a lot of attention, it just doesn't happen. And unfortunately, you know, when you're voting for the Heisman, it's not very sexy to vote for a guy who has eight sacks. But he's the best player, I promise you. You know, so it's just going to be hard if that's the case for Will Anderson. All right, to wrap up our discussion of Alabama and Georgia, and I think we we hit a lot of stuff I wanted to talk about. I, you know, you already said, you know, Alabama, you think is your national championship pick, and we're about to kind of tier the rest of the SEC and who can be contenders. But, you know, would you be genuinely shocked if it wasn't Alabama and Georgia meeting again in the SEC championship game? I would say yes. I think we'll get into some of these other teams. I don't think the gap between Georgia and some of the other teams in the SEC is massive, but because the SEC, like, you know, we still have divisions, right? So, like, Georgia's only playing against the teams in the East. Bama's only, you know, fighting against the teams in the West to get to the championship game. I think if you flip the divisions, like, if Georgia was in the West, I would say, like, yeah, I, I think there are definitely teams that can take them down. But because of how good I think Bama is and because I'm not sure there's another team in the East that's really ready to make that kind of leap, I, I have a really hard time not seeing these teams face off yet again in Atlanta at the end of the year. Yeah, you made the point I was going to make. If you put Georgia in the West and Alabama in the East, I would probably not. I would probably say Georgia wouldn't make it out. But because they're in the East, I still think they're the best team, and therefore we we should see those two teams in Atlanta, you know, fighting once again for an SEC championship. And on that note, before we talk about contenders, we're going to take a quick break, uh, and then we'll come back with the rest of our tier list. We're also going to close this episode. Didn't mention this. Sully brought it up a couple episodes ago. We're going to give our top five quarterbacks in the SEC because they're going to be the ones making the most headlines this year. So we'll give that to you while we think that. So we're going to take a quick break uh, and then we'll be right back. All right, we've established that Alabama and Georgia are the cream of the crop, we believe the two best teams in the SEC, but obviously there's still a lot of really good teams in the SEC. There's going to be a lot of storylines to talk about this year. So we want to talk about the other teams because there's also fans of those teams who really care a lot. And like I said at the beginning of the episode, we've broken this down into tiers. Uh, while we were you know, talking during the break a little bit about what we were going to do, we decided to kind of add another tier because of the way the SEC is kind of split up this year. So we're going to do tier two potential contenders to Georgia and Alabama, tier three, solid bowl teams, maybe sneak into nine or 10 wins, tier four, mediocre, probable bowl teams, and then tier five, bottom feeders. So Soli and I are going to say who we have in our tiers or tier two, and then we're going to deliberate maybe who needs to be dropped, who needs to be added. 
uh, and then we'll go from there. So I'll let Sully start with tier two. Give me your potential contenders. I'll tell you mine, and then we'll deliberate a little bit. Okay, so I think the first one is probably the one that we'll we'll have in here and be confident about, and that's Texas A&M. I think they're really the only team that I look at other than Georgia and Alabama and say like they have enough talent on their roster to be competitive in the college football playoff this year. Now, it doesn't mean they're going to be that way. You know, we've seen a lot of teams with a lot of talent disappoint, but with them, I at least see a path to them being that good. And so I think they have to be in the conversation. Now, I think you can certainly make an argument that there you could have other teams in the SEC ahead of them. Like, I think you can argue that they could be better than them this year, but I don't know that I'm confident that any of those teams have as high of a ceiling as A&M. So I feel like A&M has to be in this conversation and then really the other team that I am most high on out of these other teams that I, I put in this tier was Arkansas. Um, I think we'll, we'll talk about KJ Jefferson some. I'm a big fan of him. And then I've, I like the additions they made through the transfer portal this offseason and seems like a team that are heading in the right direction to me. I will definitely say that uh, the talent gap between A&M and everybody else feels pretty wide, but Arkansas is just the team I like the most after that, and they're the second team I had in potential contenders. Yeah, looking at the potential contenders, it's so hard because like we talked about kind of with Alabama and Georgia, they're all going to kind of beat each other up. So it's going to be really hard for multiple teams to be contenders because there's only one who's going to make it to the SEC championship game. And I don't like enough I don't like any of the East teams enough to say they're going to be a potential contender. But I think one of them will be. I'm not sure which one. So I'm with you. AM and Arkansas are my third and fourth best teams. The only thing that gives me pause is that Arkansas has the toughest schedule, I think, strength of schedule in college football. They gotta play Cincinnati out of conference. They have a really tough conference schedule. I think they play BYU too. So their schedule's brutal, and I just don't see them winning game after game after game so that honestly by that makes me think I would probably have maybe like an Ole Miss more but they're all in the west so it's not really potential contenders so I would agree with you that as far as just who I believe the best teams are we're actually not going to really have to deliberate here I would say Ole Miss or sorry Arkansas and A&M and then I think because there is going to be a potential contender in the east I would probably lean I say I don't even know. I, I was about to say a team, and now I, I don't know. Probably Tennessee is who I'm highest on, but I don't think they'll be a contender. They're just probably the one I think that has the most potential. But um, So it's just really hard because I don't really see any team pushing 10-11 games after A&M and Arkansas. Yeah, I agree. I think there's definitely – I think the there's a larger amount of better teams in the West this year for sure. And with Arkansas specifically, like a couple th- a couple notes on them. I, the biggest thing that I'm excited about with them is them adding um, Jaden Hazelwood, the transfer from Oklahoma, because last year, you know, they're going to be without Traylon Burks now. And a lot of times, one thing that I, I think is very interesting that I've started to follow the past couple years is these college quarterbacks with an elite receiver. Like, do we sometimes overrate them because they have an elite receiver that they can depend on a lot? And so that's one thing that I was a little concerned about with Jefferson, even though I'm a big fan of him, is how much of 
of that is Traylon Burks, right? Because he was a dominant player at the college level. I, I think about that with Kenny Pickett a little bit too at Pitt with Jordan Addison. Like how much of his success was related to having one of the best receivers in all of college football. I think Hazelwood, he's not going to be Traylon Burks. He's not going to be a first round pick, but I think he is a guy that he can, can be depended upon in those situations. And as Jefferson grows, I think he won't need to be as dependent on a certain guy. So that to me was like, a big swing in how I viewed this team as much as one guy really can, because that was my biggest concern is where are they getting the replacement for Traylon Burks? And so adding him in the portal was huge. You know, they also had Drew Sanders transfer from Alabama, a guy that, you know, is pretty talented, but just couldn't really get on the field consistently there. So I like this team a lot. I, I think that if you're not as high on KJ Jefferson, then I would definitely understand why you, you might not have them in this tier, but I just, I mean, he's just the guy I prefer over a lot of these other kind of middle middling SEC quarterbacks at this point. Yeah, well, as we break these team downs, we're not going to go as in-depth as uh, we did on Alabama-Georgia, but I do want to, you know, kind of take them as they come. So we'll start with Arkansas because we both had them and we'll move to A&M. Um, I do think, you know, there is something to be said for having a consistent quarterback who you know is going to show up week in and week out. And with K.J. Jefferson, we have saw he was pretty consistently good last year. Now he's not a perfect quarterback. He has flaws, and I do think, you know, he's he's not necessarily going to win you every game, but that already is a good foundation. And you talked about, you know, they have Jordan Hazelwood coming in. They have other wide receivers who are returning who will hopefully have a bigger role. They have, a you know, a pretty diverse running back group. The concern for me is not on offense because I do think they'll be able to score pretty well. It's their defense, how there's a lot of transfers. And now the talent might be better, but how do they coalesce? How do they hold up against the Bryce Youngs of the world? You know, the, you know, we'll get into some of these other quarterbacks, but you know, the, the Jaden Daniels, if he starts for LSU, the Will Rogers, all these other quarterbacks, how does he, how do they hold up? And that's what I would be worried about. But I do think, like you were saying, talent-wise, Arkansas is behind A&M, but the way they play and a lot of these guys, they have the potential to definitely win a lot of games in the SEC. Yeah, and a couple, of, and you you mentioned A&M as well. The biggest thing for me with A&M is, you know, they've they've had these great recruiting classes. You know, I think we talk a lot about like, you know, how can we translate that into success on the field. The interesting thing with with them, at least for me, is you know, at least on the depth chart I'm currently looking at. Eight of their 22 projected starters are true freshmen or sophomores. Like they, in their second year, either first or second year on campus. So they are depending on these recruits. Like this is not a team where these guys are kind of just filling in the back. You know, like Alabama, you know, you look at their third string guys, it's like, oh yeah, those are all the five stars, right? Like there are some guys, you know, like Evan Stewart, who's a really highly rated, highly rated wide receiver, he's projected to get a lot of playing time this year. So those recruits are pretty important for AM and they're they're extremely talented guys. So I, I think they can make an impact, but they are depending on those guys a lot more than some other teams might be. Now it's great they have that talent, but if some of those guys don't pan out, I think I think that's what you need to be looking at if, if AM does disappoint. Now I will say, like, I do like, you know, I think there's a lot of questions like Haynes King, Max Johnson, like what's that gonna look like at quarterback? I think both those guys are going to be pretty good. So I, I'm not super concerned about who it is. You know, Haynes King probably gives you a little higher potential, but I liked what I saw from Max Johnson at LSU. I think he was in a pretty difficult situation in his time there. So if either of those guys is playing, I'm pretty happy with that, with the production they're getting at the quarterback position. So 
I think this team's going to be pretty solid, but whether they take that next step is going to be dependent on a lot of these young guys that we haven't really seen very much of yet. Yeah, I think with A&M, and obviously there's been a lot of hype about them due to Jimbo Saban and the recruiting class, is that you know the defense has been good. They're continuing to add more talent there. I think their defense is going to be fine, but we talked about the concerns with Georgia's offense. I think I'm even more concerned about A&M's offense than I am Georgia's. And, you know, we don't know who the quarterback is going to be. And that's not necessarily a bad thing because, like you said, they're both talented. Whoever gets the job, they have Anaya Smith and Devin Ockane. But the offensive line is kind of sketchy. You know, how are they going to be able to perform from game to game? And what I feel bad for for Texas A&M is beating Alabama last year in the way they did was the worst thing they could have done. Because now with all the beef that Saban and Jimbo have had with what happened last year and beating Alabama... Alabama actually has a reason to get up for you this year. And we just talked about how good Alabama's going to be. So I would put their chances of winning that game less than 1%. And that's not me being a homer, but I just find it very hard to believe that Saban's going to let Alabama lose that game. And so, you know, for them, I think you can already say that's probably a loss. And just in general, I think the team isn't quite there yet. They haven't proven they can be consistent and find an identity. So it's not as much about does A&M have the talent. It's what is their really identity as a good team? Because we still haven't seen that. Last year, they still weren't that good. And I just, I need to know what their plan is to finally become one of these elite teams. Yeah, and I think that game could end up being very interesting, especially because if you look at their schedule before, they've got Sam Houston State, App State. So, you know, those are two gimmies. After that, they've got Miami They've got Arkansas, and they've got Mississippi State. So teams that are projected to be pretty good, you know, those all could be top 25 teams at the time they play them, but not anybody that you're like, wow, that, that team's great. So there's a chance that A&M could be creeping into the top five, maybe top four, if a couple of those teams fall ahead of them at that point. So I'm really excited to see how that unfolds because I think there's a decent chance that both these teams are undefeated. Now, do I think that A&M gets through Miami, Arkansas, and Mississippi State unscathed, I would probably say no. I, I don't know that they're that much better than those teams. You know, winning all three of those games might be difficult, but there's there's a good chance that they're going to be undefeated going into that game, which I think will bring even more of a spotlight onto that. And, you know, that's the big stage for them because after that, they've you know, they've got South Carolina, Ole Miss, Florida, Auburn, LSU. So not too many difficult games after that. Like if they can, if they can get over that hump, they're going to be sitting in a great spot for the rest of the year. Yeah, you brought up a good point that a lot of times in the SEC, scheduling matters. It matters who your run of games is. And Arkansas beat them last year, so I think they'll get up for that game. But like you said, they turn around and play Mississippi State on the road. Mississippi State is a is going to be a, a challenge this year, so would not be surprised if that's a hard game for them to win. So, yeah, I mean, you know, obviously I think A&M will be good, but I don't trust their offense or them in general enough yet to say, oh, this is going to be a knockout battle with Alabama in the game or throughout the season. So I think we just still have to see it. And like you said, there's still question marks for them at the quarterback position. That's always important. They still haven't really – I mean, even Kellen Mond, he, he held that job down, but he, he wasn't the answer for a national championship team. And so they're still looking for that national championship type level guy who can win them one. And we'll have to see this year if that's uh, if that's somebody on this roster. All right, any more thoughts on Arkansas and AM before we move on to our next tier? Um, not too much on the team specifically, but like you said, like 
I think I do I do not think the gap is very wide between the teams we have in this tier and the teams in the next tier. So it'll be really interesting. I think even maybe some teams that we have in tier four could very well be be viewed as as a lot higher. So I think this middle of the SEC is as hard as to figure out as it has been in a while. Yeah, I agree with you. I think, and like we said, the problem is is that all these teams are going to beat each other up. So it's really hard to say, oh, this team's going to be a contender because one week they might beat, you know, Tennessee might beat Florida and then Florida might turn around and beat uh, Kentucky and Kentucky might beat Tennessee. And then we're all just, nobody's a contender. And so that's, I think we're both kind of banking on and, and why it's hard to put these teams in tiers. I'll go, I'll start with tier three, solid bowl teams, maybe sneak into nine or 10 wins. So teams that are probably going to be in that top 25 area, really good teams, but just not ones you're even considering for the playoff. Uh, so for me, I would have Ole Miss, um, Tennessee, Kentucky, Florida. And then I think I could make an argument for maybe Mississippi State, but I'm not going to put them in that tier. So, the, But those those four, uh, the four I mentioned, Tennessee, Kentucky, Florida, and Ole Miss, I think I would all say are going to have pretty good years. Okay, we're much closer on this than I thought we would be. The The only thing I had different was I had Mississippi State in instead of Ole Miss. But I, I had okay. Tennessee, Florida, and Kentucky like from the east all in that same tier. And then I did have Mississippi State instead of Ole Miss. So we can start with that a little bit, and I'll, I'll kind of make the case for why I had that. But Mississippi State, I'm just a little more certain about what they're bringing back, you know, with Will Rogers at quarterback. I, I think that this is, I don't know if it's the make or break year for Leach, but it feels like it's it's time for them to at least have a solid season, even if even if they don't, you know, make a run at the West. And with Ole Miss, like, I, I just think that they were going to realize that Corral covered up for a lot more than maybe we thought last year. And so if, you know, Jackson Dart or... Um, Luke Altmyer is not the answer at quarterback. I do have a little bit more of a, a, a few more questions about this offense than I think some other people might have. You know, Kiffin is a good offensive coach, but I don't know if I I view him in the category of like, oh, he's just, no matter what, he's going to figure it out. So I would say that's why I have Mississippi State over Ole Miss, but I could definitely see why see why you'd have that flipped. Yeah, I guess I'm just bullish, like you said, maybe because of last season and Corral, and maybe he was that much of a difference. But I, I truly believe, I talked about this with when I did my five little players who I think you need to watch out for. Like Lane's offense is, is more relying on the run than you realize. And I think Zach Evans is the real deal. I do think yeah. Jackson Dart, Luke Altmaier, whoever it is, will be serviceable. They have really good wide receivers. So I honestly don't think the offense is going to slip that much, even though Corral was really important. The defense scares me, and like you said, it, there is uncertainty because of the quarterback situation. So I'm I'm with you. It's just so hard because I I don't think Ole Miss will be a nine or ten a ten win team. I think like nine is probably their ceiling, but I do, I do think they're good enough to win you know seven eight games. But I'm with you. It, Mississippi State probably is the more certain team. So I'm fine, you know, saying that that as well. That Ole Miss will probably be closer to the probable bowl teams, but we don't know what their ceiling is. Um, I think in the East, you know, we're we'll, we going to talk about specifics. In the East, I think Tennessee and Kentucky and uh, Florida are all so good that they'll be good enough to win seven or eight games pretty easily. But the problem is they'll kind of beat up on each other, and so they're all just kind of gonna be around that same level. 
Is that kind of the read you have as well? Yeah, I, I think that's pretty accurate. I, I would probably say I'm lowest on Kentucky out of the three teams. And then I view Tennessee, I'm a little more certain about just with Hinden Hooker returning at quarterback. I think I, there's very few teams in this conference that I'm more certain will have a good offense than Tennessee at this point with Heupel, you know, the, the, the style of coaching that he brings, the talent that they have back. Like one guy on that, on that team that I just, I think it will end up going fairly high in the draft next year is Cedric Tillman. Like I, I really liked watching him last year at wide receiver. I think he's going to be a, a, maybe not a breakout player, but a guy that is talked about a lot, especially with Hendon Hooker paired at quarterback. So I think Tennessee will be very good. Florida is definitely more of a question, but they do have kind of that Anthony Richardson card where, you know, you look at that and say, if Richardson is as good as some people think that he might could be, then there's probably no team that I look at in this tier that has a higher ceiling than them. Now, there's some questions at the talent at wide receiver. You know, obviously any time that you're you're moving coaches, you know, we'll probably talk about this with LSU as well. There's a little bit of uncertainty there, but if things click, I definitely like Florida the most out of the out of that SEC East teams, but that's not guaranteed. You know, Richardson, we 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 think we know how talented he is, but if he doesn't come in as good of a passer as some people are hoping, that's a major question there. So Tennessee is definitely the team I think from the East that I'm, I'm most confident in being, you know, pretty good as the year goes on. Yeah, I agree with you. Like you said, because of the the Hinden Hooker, we know their offense will be pretty good, and, and they have talent. Um, you know, my my thing with them would be as we talk about specifics here for some of the teams is. You know, are they only going to be reliant on Hendon Hooker throwing for four or five touchdowns every game and hitting the deep balls like he did against Alabama and making that an exciting game last year? Or are they going to find some balance not only on offense, but also, you know, having a pretty decent defense? And that's the thing. It's like, yeah, Hendon Hooker will probably win you seven or eight games by that alone, but is it going to be, is he good enough to win you games that matter? Like Georgia, Alabama, probably not, but you know, can he win even the Floridas, the Kentuckys? And I think, you know, we'll, we'll get a pretty early sense of that based on how they look. But with them, I'm worried that they're more flash than substance. Yeah, I agree. I think that's something I, I talked about a little bit on my podcast a while back was like one of the hot takes I got for when I, when I reviewed those was like Hendon Hooker will finish top three in the Heisman. And I just have a hard time seeing that because of the fact that I don't see Tennessee like having the roster around him to supplement that. And I don't know that he is a singularly great enough talent to where he can make that happen. Like even, you know, compared to Florida, if you look at Anthony Richardson, I could say like, okay, there's a world where he is physically dominant enough where Florida could be an eight, nine, maybe 10 win team. And he still could get to New York. I have a much harder time seeing that with hooker just because I think Hinden Hooker is a very good college quarterback, but I don't know that he is like the singular talent that can carry your team. And so with that, you know, I, I do think that this is probably almost assuredly going to be an eight, maybe a nine win team that we're looking at by the end of the year. And I, I'll do, I'll give a little more on Florida here just because that's probably where I have yeah, that's the where most I was, knowledge I was going out of these next, teams. So. Yeah. So with, with Florida this year, I think, you know, if you're, if you're wondering what kind of team they're going to be, I think, they are going to run the ball a lot, a lot more than they have in previous years. Their offensive line is probably their strongest positional group. They they have a lot of returning guys, and they also, uh, like Richard Gouraj at, at left tackle, Ethan White at left guard, they're both re- 
heavy, heavy experience guys. And they brought in Osiris Torrance, who most people looked at as one of the best interior linemen in the country last year. They brought him in from Louisiana Lafayette. Napier brought him over um, as he moved to Florida. The offensive line is going to be great this year. And with Richardson at quarterback and then a very healthy running back room with Montreal Johnson, transfer from Louisiana Lafayette as well. Naquan Wright, I'm sure if you're an Alabama fan, you remember him from the 99-yard drive. And then former five-star Lorenzo Lingard transferred from Miami. They're, they have a very strong running game across the board. The receiver room is the big question offensively. You know, they bring in transfer Ricky Pearsall from Arizona State. He earned the number one jersey, which I don't know. Maybe that means he's good. Maybe that means there's nobody else to give it to. But he's kind of the, you know, the slot playmaker guy. They have some bigger bodied receivers, but I have questions about how explosive those guys are. So that that's what I'm most curious to watch. And probably the most the biggest question I have is how the passing game is going to look because, you know, that's something that Richardson showed flashes of last year. He had some highlight throws, but wasn't super consistent in and the receivers weren't really very much either. So that's the biggest question for me. It's like, if this passing game is good, I think they can like contend for, for the East. Like that, that's because the rushing, I, I think is going to be very good, just like it was last year. Defensively, I think their secondary is going to be really good. Jason Marshall is a very highly titled recruit that I think will probably emerge as one of the better cornerbacks in the SEC this year. They've got other guys like Avery Helm and then Jalen Kimber, Georgia transfer, should be good. Britton Cox is a guy that's going to c- compete for, you know, the tackles for loss leaders in the SEC on the edge. The, pr- the biggest question is probably linebacker. You know, Ventral Miller's coming back for what feels like his 10th season, but the second guy, you know, we're not really sure where that's going to go. And then on the interior up the middle, you know, middle linebacker, defensive tackle, those are probably the biggest question marks for this defense. But I think overall the defense is pretty solid, especially the defensive backfield. They've got very experienced guys combined with some talented guys back there. So, Overall, I think this is going to be a good team. Like, I definitely think they'll be better than they were last year. But the the passing offense is really what I think will swing this season. Like, they, I think they could win ten games if if they're all passing offense as well. But it goes well. But if it doesn't, you know, maybe this is a seven and five team. Yeah, I mean, I want to talk about Florida not just because you know you're a fan, but because they are such an interesting team. And I had listed in the outline, you know, Billy Napier, new coach, new look. Dan Mullen's gone. You know, what is how long is is it going to take for them to feel like a different Florida? Because it felt like Florida was kind of just stuck with Dan Mullen. Now they're getting recruiting in, they're getting talent. So obviously, you know, I'm not expecting them to win this year, but do you expect to see a different product and a different feel this year on the field this soon? I think the thing that I'm most confident in is the upgrade in defensive play calling. Like Patrick Tony, the defensive coordinator that Billy Napier brought over with him seems to have a lot of respect from people across college football recruits seem to really like him he's a guy that people it seems like people want to play for and can tell like he's a smart guy and last year with Todd Grantham it just felt like he came in with one plan and if it worked then great and if it didn't then there was nothing to be done after that we saw that against LSU where LSU just ran the same play like 10 times and rushed for like 200 yards on it like that's I, that's the thing I'm most confident will shift. Like, do I think Napier is a better offensive play caller, play caller than Mullen? Probably not. Like, I, I still think Mullen was very good at that, but I'm much more confident in this new staff's ability to actually get talent in because Napier this year in you know his first real cycle right now is recruiting at about the level that Mullen did at his peak recruiting, and that's just in his first year. You know, we still. I, I think a lot of people anticipate them jumping from right now. I think they're 12th or 13th, depending on what site you look at. I think most people anticipate them jumping into the back end of the top 10, which is going to be, you know, 
one of the better years of Mullen's tenure at Florida. And with that being his first year, it seems like he, this staff, they have, they have so many more resources than they did under Mullen. And that's partly just that the boosters and the, the, you know, the money they decided to invest more, but it's also because Billy Napier is a much more invested guy into recruiting compared to Dan Mullen. So I think the recruiting is definitely on the upswing. It'll take time. You know, you're not going to change the reputation of your university in a year, but they are getting guys on campus that just did not come in pre under previous staffs. Like Cormani McLean's a guy that I think is like the number three overall player in the country right now. He's a cornerback. He is very heavily considering Florida. And I think right now is it's between them and Alabama. I think people kind of see that going either way. That's not a battle that they would have been in under Dan Mullen. I think it's pretty, pretty simple as that. And there were guys that just didn't get looked at. Like we, there's a four-star receiver coming in this year. His, his name is Aiden Mizell. Both of his parents ran track at Florida. He's a four-star receiver, like close to a top 50 recruit. He was not contacted until Billy Napier was hired as head coach. Like Mullen's staff had not reached out to him. It's a legacy Florida player who's like a top 50 wide receiver and they just didn't talk to him. And as soon as Napier's staff reached out, started building the connection, it was clear like he wanted to be a part of Florida. Like it it just feels like some of that incompetence in recruiting has been fixed so quickly and there's a lot of buzz about that. So I, I'm excited to see what happens in the next few years. You know, it'll take time to recruit at the level of like a Georgia and Alabama. Like I, I think that's kind of insane to anticipate that happening this fast. But I, I recruiting wise, like I'm very excited about what the future holds. Yeah, that's definitely the vibe I'm getting from you know the Florida Gators and and Billy Napier in general. Is that Florida is a uh, a school that people want to come play at? You know, you think about the Tim Tebow years and the national championships. I mean, they have the pedigree. It's just kind of getting that culture back. And, you know, talking about this year's team and specifically a little bit, Anthony Richardson, you know, yes, he's raw. Yes, his decision making is bad at times. Yes, he's got some things to work on as a quarterback. But when his his flashes are, are insane and he's got this, the talent level to be a Heisman type player. So if that clicks, then like you said, they could definitely be a contender. Moving on to the other team we mentioned in the East with Kentucky. Kentucky's the same every year, and they're so hard because it's it's hard for them to get the talent in that's actually going to compete at a level. And their style of play is also just not – it's not like a lot of the other teams. But they're older than they ever have been. They always seem to be old, but they are this year. They have Will Levis, who seems to be a NFL-level type quarterback, even though we don't really know. So, you know, how – What's the ceiling for Kentucky? Because I do think we can pencil them in for seven or eight wins at least. But do you think there's any version of where this team is like 10 wins, pushes Georgia in a game, you know, that type of deal? There's probably a world, but I just, I don't see Levis as that guy yet. And it seems like a lot of people do. Like, it, I don't know. It feels like it's one of these guys where he wasn't talked about very much during the season. And then as soon as the draft ended, it was like, okay, well, who's going to be the next guys? And everybody was just like, oh, Will Levis. And it reminds me of Sam Howell a little bit where he kind of looks the part. He's you know got a good frame. He's got good arm talent. I'm not convinced that he is that level of quarterback yet. Now, maybe he becomes that. Maybe, that, maybe it's, you know, he's got these physical tools. We think he can evolve into that. But at least how I see Will Levis... I have a hard time seeing how Kentucky's going to get to like 10 wins, but 
there's a chance, like if, if all these other people that seem to be super high on him are right, then like you said, this is a very veteran heavy roster. Like obviously they're going to miss Wandale Robinson, but they've got other talent on the, on the playmaking side. And the defense is just full of guys that have been there forever. So this team, I guess my answer would be, yes, they can get to 10 wins, but it, it would, for me, it would take a big shift in how I view Will Levis to make that happen. Yeah, I think that's the safe thing to say is that the talent level is is what it is. It's not going to be a national championship, so it's kind of dependent on Levis and how far he can take him, and we just don't know. We haven't seen it yet, so we'll have to see how it plays out. All right, slowly convinced me on this is why I wanted to do it, to liberate. I, I probably was a little too bullish on Ole Miss, so we're going to move them to this next year. We're about to talk about up on Mississippi State up. I think we kind of covered them. So we have in Tier 3, which is the solid bowl teams, maybe sneak 9 and 10 wins. Florida, Tennessee, Kentucky, Mississippi State. Tier four is our mediocre slash probable bowl teams, which means we think they'll at least get to six wins. And, you know, seven, eight, nine is possible, but it might take, you know, a perfect situation. So I think we'll we'll agree from here on out. So I'll just let you, you know, say what, what teams you have in this tier. Yeah, so with Ole Miss obviously being in this tier, that's kind of the one I've already given away. The other three teams I have in this are Auburn, South Carolina, and LSU. South Carolina is an interesting one. You know, I think this is a team where really the upside is there because of one guy, really, and that's Spencer Rattler. Like, it, it's kind of just, you kind of have to acknowledge that if he's as good as people thought he could be and as good as he showed that he might be at points in his Oklahoma career, then this is a team that could win nine or 10 games because if he plays at that level, you know, if you've got a Heisman level quarterback, you're going to be a very good team. Now, I'm not as confident in the rest of this roster. Like I, that, that's kind of why I view them as in this tier is it, I think it would take Rattler being, being that level of quarterback for them to jump up at all. Auburn, I don't know. I just, I'm not very excited about them. Like I just don't, I don't know what there is really on that roster to, to get super excited about. You know, we'll see who starts at quarterback for them. I think we can get into that a little bit later. And then LSU for me is probably the hardest team for me to place at this point because, you know, if you look at the the talent rankings right now of guys that are still on their roster, they're fourth in the SEC. Like it, it goes Alabama, Georgia, Texas A&M, LSU, and then Florida. And then there's a pretty big drop off before you get to four other teams or five other teams grouped together. So LSU has a lot of talent, but they also have six total returning starters. So to me, the variance of outcomes for them is maybe greater than any other team because if those guys that people are convinced are pretty talented come in and play well, maybe this is a nine-win team. But there's also a chance that a lot of these guys that we think are pretty talented are not going to be very good. And I think that's even true for like maybe Jaden Daniels at quarterback. Like I, I still have no idea what to expect from him because you know I think especially when they're playing at midnight every night, nobody's really watching Arizona State that closely. You know, you see highlights of what he could be, but I'm not sure how consistent that I. I'm not sure how consistent I trust him to be. So yeah, LSU, I think was probably the hardest team for me to place. And because of just how much turnover there's been on that offense, you know, maybe Miles Brennan is the quarterback there too, which like, I'm not very excited about that, to be honest, if, if that's what happens. Um, and then Garrett Nussmeyer as well. But I will say with LSU, I'm very excited to watch uh, Keishon Boutte. Like I think he's going to be a first round pick. He's one of the more talented receivers in the league this year. I feel like this is another year where I'm looking at LSU more as a team where they're going to have some singularly talented players than really have a great roster yet at this point. Yeah, I think you described all the teams 
that way. And you could describe all the teams in this tier that way. And, and you know, we talked about Ole Miss moving down into this one. We've already covered them. But Auburn and, and LSU and South Carolina, it's not that they don't have some talent because all of them do. And Carolina's getting some talent in now. Obviously, Brian Kelly's bringing some to LSU. Auburn has, you know, good players as well. It's that just what it what is their roster really? We don't know. It's all very up in the air. There's not a lot of proven guys on any of those teams. And so therefore the path to a lot of success just really in my mind isn't there. I mean, it's just not. We don't know who's gonna play quarterback for LSU or Auburn. I've seen Calzada play, I've seen Finley play. Whoever wins that job is not very good. I can tell you that, unless they take a big leap. I'm more confident in LSU situation. Um, but at the same time, I think under Brian Kelly in his first year, it's going to take some time. So all these teams, this is the teams that, you know, if things go perfect, maybe nine wins, maybe eight. But the path is just not there for them to be contenders. But they're going to have some exciting games just because they have some really good players on this team. And I could see, an, you know, at South Carolina, an LSU beating one of these teams that we've already talked about just because one of their really good players has a good game. Yeah, and I know you mentioned this in the outline. Like, I kind of just hope Robbie Ashford plays. Like, it's probably not going to happen, but I think I'd probably just enjoy watching him more than the other guys. Like, I TJ Finley, man, he like he's painful to watch. And then Calzada, I think, like, you know, the the Alabama game is probably his life's peak right there. Like, I don't know if he's ever topping that. Like, that was unreal the performance he had in that game. But I I don't really. St- the rest of the year, I didn't see anything that could convince me that he could replicate that over the course of a season. So. I don't know. What's funny about Ashford I saw was he was compared to Joey Gatewood out of high school, who was at Auburn with Malzahn, then transferred to Kentucky. He's now at, and then went down to UCF with Malzahn. So it's kind of funny, like maybe that's the kind of player that you're getting, but he's actually good now. I don't know. But I just I need something from Auburn to make me like care about them, find them interesting. And right now I I'm having a hard time finding that. Now with with South Carolina and and LSU, I don't know. I, I think those teams, to me, have a little more upside than Auburn. But still, like you said, there's a lot of uncertainty with these teams. And they feel like teams, South Carolina and LSU, that are a couple years away, still need to add more talent. But these years could be very instrumental in making that happen. And right now, you know, LSU, they, were, they had the 13th ranked recruiting class last year in a transition year. They're sixth already this year. So they, they're recruiting at a very high level at this point. Um, so that's pretty encouraging to me with them because I don't know I I had some questions about what would happen when Brian Kelly enters a recruits living room in the state of Louisiana like is he actually convincing enough to get those guys to come and it seems like so far at least that that's that's gone fairly well so LSU just has such a strong base of talent in that state I have a hard time seeing them being mediocre for much longer than this. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, Brian Kelly went to LSU and changed his accent immediately, so he's already yeah. he was here with yeah, his family. Um, he was already trying to work on, on, you know, being able to relate, I guess, to the Louisiana culture. Uh, you know, you brought up what makes Auburn interesting. You know, I could make a joke here that the most interesting thing about them is Brian Harson and whatever scandal he's in at the moment. But I mean, yeah, all these teams I think are in kind of, you know, building periods where they're trying to figure out their identity. Obviously Brian Kelly and Shane Beamer are trying to figure out, you know, what they want to do with their program. Harson just needs to make sure he keeps his job. I mean, so all these teams are probably a couple of years away from, you know, getting up to where they hope to be. 
All right, with that being said, we're going to take one more quick break. Our last segment is going to be, well, it's going to be really quick because Missouri and Vandy stink, let's just be honest. But we're going to talk about the bottom feeders, maybe what their best case scenario is, what they hope to be in a couple years, yada, yada. And then we're going to close with ranking the top five best quarterbacks in the SEC. So we'll have one more break, and then we'll come back with that to finish out the episode. All right, very quickly before we close our episode by giving our top five quarterbacks in the SEC, which I think will be interesting to talk about because those guys will be, you know, as I mentioned in the headlines a lot this year, the guys we need to watch out for potentially being in the NFL. We're going to close with our last tier, the bottom feeders. We only have two two teams left, and that's Missouri and Vanderbilt. Um, and, you know, obviously it's unfortunate they play in the SEC because – Somebody's got to be last. Somebody's got to be the worst. Both these teams are in the East, so obviously they'll play each other. Somebody's going to win. Uh, let's start with Missouri because, you know, Eli Drinkwitz, the head coach there, uh, they've had some, you know, promising signs on offense a little bit, but it's still Missouri. And, you know, they had a good start when they came to the SEC, but haven't really done much since. Uh, you know, is there, you know, he's an exciting offensive mind. Is that really all we should ever expect from Missouri in that sense, or is there ever a path where, you know, maybe he turns this into a program that could actually be one of the, you know, maybe non-10 win teams? Yeah, so I think they're interesting because I think heading into last year, I would have just said, like, yeah, this is kind of just an irrelevant team. They had the 16th-ranked recruiting class last year, which is – I'll list some SEC teams last year that that was higher than. That was higher than Tennessee, Auburn, Florida, Ole Miss, Mississippi State, Arkansas, and then obviously Vanderbilt. They recruited pretty well last year. Now, this year they have not gotten off to that start yet. So, you know, we'll see how that unfolds as the recruiting cycle continues. But that's encouraging to me at least. Now, part of that was probably, well, definitely because they – were able to get Luther Luther Burden in the building, who was the number one overall wide receiver. That's going to boost your rankings a lot. He's from the state of Missouri, so I don't know that you're going to be able to depend on getting you know a guy like that every single year. Like that felt like more of a one off where a guy wanted to stay home and you did your job, you got that guy in the building. But that gives me a little bit of encouragement that maybe you know Drinkwitz can at least get this team to where we look at them like we do a Mississippi State or you know like. A Kentucky maybe you know those teams are probably a little higher than they they would end up but if they can recruit at that level that they're gonna have a chance you know I think the two guys that I would highlight for them like I mentioned Luther Burden um, one of the hot takes I reviewed on the pod the podcast recently was he's gonna be SEC freshman of the year I like that take because he's gonna have opportunity you know this isn't an offense filled with a bunch of talented guys and he was very highly rated recruit coming into this year and he was the only SEC freshman that looks like he's going to be starting at a skill position that was a high, high rated recruit. So I think he's got a pretty good shot to be a good player this year. The other guy that stood out to me just going through the roster was Tyron Hopper, a linebacker that transferred from Florida. He looked very good in the bowl game last year after the, after the bowl practices, after they let him play a little bit more to try to showcase some of the younger guys. He looked pretty good last year. So he's a guy that I think could have an impact defensively, but yeah, this, I mean, I don't think there's much to talk about with them this year. Now, I will say, I think they are much closer to the teams in the the higher tier than they are to Vandy, which maybe that says more about Vandy than it does about Missouri. But 
I, I do think we should at least separate the fact, like, Vandy is going to win, like, two games. Missouri will probably win, like, four or five. Like, I, I think they're, even though, you know, they're in the same tier, they're bottom feeders, they're, Missouri is not as blatantly terrible. Yeah, no, I agree with you. And the thing, I've, what I'm glad you mentioned there was, you know, obviously not there's not always going to be a Luther burden in the state of Missouri, but if he can recruit guys like that to come play for him, Drinkwitz can, you know, he's got a system that's fun to play in, or at least seems like. And so I do think there's a path, like you said, to kind of become the Mississippi State, the Kentucky. And I, I would honestly say I think Missouri is probably – a more intriguing place to play than either of those. I mean, Missouri's kind of cool. So uh, I think, you know, they have a case to be made. They could eventually get there. But like you said, it's hard when you haven't really had a pedigree and the fact that they're not a normal SEC team, they came from somewhere else. It's just kind of hard to build that culture. So I think, you know, until they kind of get back to where they're competing for more meaningful games, it's going to be a while for Missouri. Yeah, and the last thing I'll add, like the quarterback position is what's going to have to get worked out there because you know I think people will like the idea of Connor Basilek last year. I think he's at Indiana now after transferring out, so that didn't really work last year. They've got Brady Cook in this year at quarterback. We'll see how that works. And I think there is some optimism there. I'm not going to pretend like I have a bunch of expert knowledge on Brady Cook, but that that's what I'm really focusing on the most is can they get the quarterback right? Because you know, like with Leach at Mississippi State, another offensive minded guy. Will Rogers is at least somebody that you can look at and say, like, I'm okay with him being my starting quarterback. Like, I'm comfortable with that. I don't know that Missouri's had that guy yet, and that's the biggest thing that needs to be ironed out here if Drinkwitz is going to be able to get some guys in because, you know, to continue to recruit at a decent level, you're going to have to show that you're doing something with that talent. Yeah, as we're about to talk about with when we rank these quarterbacks, that's the most important thing. So if you can't get a talented one in there, you're never really going to go anywhere. All right, the last thing we have to talk about is Vanderbilt. And, you know, they are interesting this year more because of their head coach and bringing in Clark Lee. And, and he he made the statement at his press conference, poor guy, that we're going to make this the best program in the nation, which I think is kind of like saying you're going to make, you know, water the well, – that's a bad analogy. Turning but, water to wine. Yeah, you're going you're gonna to turn water, water to wine or something or make water the best tasting drink ever, which a lot of some people think that. It's just hard to make Vanderbilt a national powerhouse, but we've seen James Franklin, you know, make them relevant. Um, You know, he's a Vandy guy, so I guess you have that going for him. But, I mean, I I think, you know, a best-case scenario, talking big picture here because they're going to be bad this year, it just is what it is, is he gets them into bowl games. That's just Vandy's ceiling. So, sorry, Vandy fans, but there's never really a path for you in the SEC to ever be better than seven to eight wins and maybe a hundred years from now if the world's still here i eat those words but not anytime soon yeah i'll say one nice thing about vandy i don't think ken seals is as terrible as some people make him out to be that's like the one i don't know there i don't know what else positive i can say about this team they do yeah i mean they do occasionally you know they had aaron Rodgers' brother in there at quarterback <laughs> he was decent and they, they'll get they'll get occasional you know kind of good Jay quarterback Cutler. shout out Jay Cutler shout out yeah so you know Vanderbilt has their moments but never you know serious and they you know let's stick to baseball there I know it's silly sport you know they they can they can have Kumar Rocker and and Jack Leiter and all those all those good guys over there and we'll let Alabama get the football players all right so those are our tiers uh for the SEC I'll go back through it one time we said we have obviously in tier one national championship level contenders Alabama and Georgia 
Tier two potential contenders, we had uh, A&M and Arkansas. Tier three, we had solid bowl teams, maybe sneak to nine or ten wins, Florida, Kentucky, Tennessee, and Mississippi State. Tier four, mediocre probable bowl teams, we had Ole Miss, LSU, Auburn, and South Carolina, and then bottom feeders, Missouri and Vanderbilt. So that's what we think is going to happen this year. Obviously, there could be some variation up or down, but college football, I will say, while there is variability in some ways, it's also pretty predictable. I mean, especially with the top teams. So it'll probably shake out pretty close to what we we guessed this year. But one thing that isn't as predictable is knowing how quarterbacks are going to play. I mean, so we were talking about that off air. It's so hard to judge these guys, you know, where they are in their life, whether they're transferring, whether they've, you know, moving from a freshman to a sophomore. But I'm going to let Sully try to do it. So we're not going to talk about every quarterback because that would be maddening and take a while. But he's put together a list of the top five in the SEC. So I'll let him go through that. And then we'll maybe talk about some honorable mentions as well. Yeah, and I definitely would would say that at the end, you can throw in guys that you think might deserve to be on this list because I definitely think there's seven or eight guys that can be in consideration for this. So I'll start at number five. I had Spencer Rattler at number five. I, I think he might have been the hardest guy for me to place on this list because you saw the flashes and then they very quickly vanished. Now, I don't think Oklahoma had the best situation for him last year. Like, I don't think they're their offensive line was as good as it usually is. It seemed like there was just some weird stuff going on last year behind the scenes there. And once Caleb Williams went in, you know, it felt like Rattler didn't have a ton of time to adjust and make the changes that he needed to. Now, I know he's a guy that has known to be like a pretty cocky guy. Like maybe this experience like humbles him a little bit, allows him to get back to work because I still think he has very good arm talent. He's a guy that I could still see him being a very good college quarterback, but this is pretty much the highest that I can put him with without actually seeing it on the field. So Rattler would be who I have at five. Yeah, I think, you know, his talent level alone makes it to where he's a little more proven than these other guys, even though he hasn't really proven much. And that's the thing when ranking these quarterbacks is so many of these guys are either transferring and haven't proven themselves enough yet, or we just don't know. And Rattler, even though he hasn't lived up to his potential, I agree with you, is probably deserves a spot on this list purely because of the fact that we know he has Heisman level talent if he puts it together. Yeah, yeah. That I think well, compared to some other guys behind him, I that's why he's up there. Like, I, do I know he's going to be better than some of the guys below? Like, no, but. He he's at least shown the talent that I think has to be looked at here. So number four, I have Hendon Hooker. That's probably a little lower than some of the somebody some other people have him. Um, it's not really anything against him. Like I think Hooker is a very good quarterback. He's just mobile enough to be very effective at the college level. I don't really think that'll translate to the next level very well because it seems it's very like herky jerky. It's not super explosive, but. At the college level, you don't have to be a great athlete to be able to be an effective runner. Like we saw that with Baker Mayfield. Like Mayfield is not a guy that runs at all in the NFL, but was pretty effective at doing that at the college level. I think that's pretty much the same thing with Hooker. He's a very good passer as well. Um, I, I see him putting up numbers pretty much with absolute certainty. But there, I also don't. I also don't know if I see him. You know, like we mentioned earlier, carrying an offense as much as some of these other guys above him. So I've got him at number four. Yeah, and I think the thing about Hendon Hooker that makes him, you know, play really well in college is that he throws a really good deep ball. He 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 wants the big play. And in college you can get away with that a little more. His his touch throws, his decision making isn't always there. 
and running an offense in general. But as if you watch the Bama game last year, you know, he had several long touchdown passes. And so if he can do that, then he's going to have splash plays and they're going to score well. And like you said, he, he is a good, just a good college quarterback and is going to be consistently putting points up on the board. And yeah, I, I, I think we'll we'll pretty much agree because the guys that we might leave off, we both have questions about. So I agree that that Hooker is number four or in that area. All right, so number three, and this is probably the one that's like furthest off from consensus. But I have Anthony Richardson at number three, and I'll make the case at least for why I think his floor is higher. I I made this on um, my podcast as well when talking about him. But to me, the thing that is has to be acknowledged with him is how like ridiculously athletic he is like I think because you know he didn't start last year you know Florida wasn't as relevant when he was playing I think it got understated a little bit like how freakish this guy is I mean he's 6'4 240 pounds and he runs in the mid four fours in the 40 yard dash we saw his agility you know that I'm sure that video that you've seen that's gone viral of him hurtling the guy against I think Florida Atlantic like it's not just straight line speed I really do think that this guy can be a Cam Newton type of athlete. Now it doesn't mean he's be as good. Like I don't want I don't want anybody to think I'm saying he can be that like that kind of level of player. But in terms of like just raw running the ball, maybe Josh Allen is another comparison I would use where he's he's fast, but he's also extremely physical. And he he's one of these guys where I just don't see one defender being able to bring him down. Like he he's too fat. He's it's strength and speed. Like he's got the combination of both of those things and because of that, especially in the offense he's in, I think his floor is a lot higher than what some people might think because I think no matter how good he is as a passer, the rushing game is going to be good enough where he will be effective. Now, could if the if the passing game doesn't work, could Hendon Hooker be better than him? Certainly. But I saw enough from him last year to where I think as he continues to develop, there should be improvement there. I don't think he's a bad decision maker. I think he was especially at times last year, he definitely is a guy that because he's so athletic, he thinks he can make every play. And sometimes he does, but other times, you know, that's going to lead you to take a bad sack. That's going to lead you to throw a ball up in the air that you probably shouldn't. That definitely needs to be reined in. But the the big case that I just want to make with him is that I don't think that there's as much of a bust chance as some people seem to think going into this year. Yeah, it all depends on what you value because if you're valuing talents and athleticism and ability to make big plays, I think you could make the case he's number one. I mean, Bryce Young obviously is a much better quarterback, but from like the running ability, the big arm, you know, the talent is all there. Um, So I don't argue with you putting on this list if it all works out. Like you said, because he's playing in college and not the NFL, the rushing is going to be there. The big plays through the air are going to be there. The problem that I would have and why I wouldn't have him on this list, one, I do think I value having seen you do it, but also I don't know if he can play the quarterback position. Can he run the ball as a quarterback? Yes. But is he a good quarterback? I don't know yet. And I will say, I agree with you. The bust thing is probably not as big of a deal. Uh, Now, does he win big games? That I have questions about. But the bus thing, he'll probably be fine. It's just I don't know, can he play the quarterback position maybe as well as, you know, a guy like like Bryce Young, who obviously he can't, but somebody who is obviously going to lead a team and not just be a big play guy. Yeah, and I think that's the biggest thing that I'll be curious to watch early in the year is like 
especially as they're playing teams that aren't as good. Like, is he hitting the easy ones? Like, is he when guys are open, is he hitting those guys? Because there's going to be plays he makes where it's just like, okay, yeah, there's like maybe two or three other guys in college football that can make that play. Like, those are going to happen this year because that's just the level of talent that he is. But that that's the biggest thing is like, can he hit the layups? Because I think he did that well at times last year, but, you know, that's that's something that he definitely needs to be able to improve on. But at least, you know, why I think that I have him in this spot is because, you know, I think right now, am I 100% sure he's better than Hinton Hooker? Absolutely not. But like you mentioned, do I think his peak is number one on this list? Like, is is there, is it maybe a 5% chance or a 3% chance? There's a chance at the end of the year we look back and say, like, he was the best quarterback in the SEC. So it, as, it, even if that's a small chance, especially with Bryce Young, that possibility is there, and I don't really think it's there with with maybe any of the other guys on this list. So that's why I would have him at three. And then number two is a guy that I've, I feel like I've mentioned this a million times. Like I really like KJ Jefferson. He's the guy I have at two. Like Richardson, you get a little bit of the dual threat. He's not as explosive and fast as, of an athlete, but he's another guy with a big body. Like He's a guy that can run up the middle, pound you, and it, it can be a foundational part of your offense because he can be a consistent runner. I also think he is underrated as a thrower. I think because, you know, the motion's a little awkward. It's not necessarily the prettiest ball you'll ever see. I think he gets a little underrated in that. I think he could throw the ball down the field pretty well. And we talked a little bit about the talent that's going to be on that team. But Jefferson is a guy where because I, I like the rushing upside with him and he's a guy that I, I could see putting it all together. I've seen more than from him than I have from Richardson, but unlike Hooker, I think there might be a little more potential there. So that's why I would have him in it too. Yeah, I agree with you. And obviously Bryce Young is number one, but yeah. I think, you know, Young and Jefferson to me are the are the clear like we've seen these guys be productive. We know what they are. The chances of them being, you know, poor, playing poor is low. I, I think it's pretty safe to say, you know, as we talked about that Jefferson deserves to be on this list and should have a, a better year than he had last year. Yeah, absolutely. And going to number one is Jackson. No, it's Bryce Young. So, I mean, obviously, like, I think we knew he was going to be at the top of this list. He's the, I mean, he's the only guy I think in this conference that I've looked at and said, like, he's played games where I think he could be the number one pick at this point. That's, the kind of talent he is. I, I don't think he's a guy that's a shoe in for that at this point. There's a lot of quarterbacks across the country that are going to be competing to be first round selections this year. And Young is not a perfect quarterback, but I do think he got better at a lot of things throughout the year. He became a lot more willing to run the ball. And that also, I think, compounded into his ability to make plays outside of the pocket because teams got a little more worried about that. I thought his accuracy improved as the year went on. I thought he hung around in the pocket a little bit better as well. So he, I think he's improved a lot just in his time at Alabama, and he already came in as a very good player. So this is a guy that I, I think has to be number one. I don't, I really don't know how you could have anybody else up there, and I would, I would expect to be at the top of this list at the end of the year. Yeah, I mean, he won the Heisman Trophy, so I, I feel like you have to put him at number one. And like you said, he, yeah. he, he's, he's going to be an NFL quarterback. Now, does he succeed? We don't know, but he's the only one on this list you know for sure is going to be an NFL quarterback at least and get a shot. And, um. I think, you know, there does not much that needs to be said. He can make every throw. You know, he runs an offense. He wins you games. He's the clear-cut number one. And, you know, Alabama is going to be the best team in the SEC probably this year. So, you know, there's he'll he'll get the notoriety. Um, I pretty much agree with all your lists. As we, uh, since you made the list, I'll kind of be the other guy. You know, I'll advocate for some of the other guys. 
I think because you're a Florida fan, you say Anthony Richardson, and, and I'm kind of with you, but the the naysayers and, and the guys on the outside will put Will Levis where you had Anthony Richardson. Yeah. They look at his upside and they say, well, look at Will Levis. He, can, he has a big arm. Yeah, he throws a lot of interceptions. But he's athletic. He runs. He throws deep balls. If he can just make the, you know, you you use the, can he make the easy reads for Anthony Richardson? I think it's the same case for Will Levis, and that's where I would think people would say he should be in. I'm with you though. I, I think Anthony Richardson is honestly a more talented and probably a safer bet, especially because he plays for Florida and not Kentucky. So I wouldn't have Levis in. The guy that I would probably have in over him is Will Rogers. I, I was actually really impressed by Will Rogers, um, even when they played Alabama. Mississippi State just didn't help him. But you know, obviously he plays in the air raid offense, so you can't bank on, you know, him being, you know, this great quarterback just because he throws every time. But I will say he, he makes a lot of really good throws. He's tough. He hangs in the pocket. And I do think he's going to only improve. And I actually saw, I've seen him, you know, kind of really learn how to run an offense. So that's the guy I would have in there instead of Anthony Richardson, not saying he shouldn't be. And I honestly might even have Anthony Richardson over Spencer Rattler, because I think you can argue they're about the same as far as what they've proven. So I would honestly probably have Anthony Richardson five over Spencer Rattler, but like you said, I, I think those seven are the ones that I'm looking at more than any other. Uh, the other ones off the list, like maybe uh, Haynes King, uh, Zach Calzada, you know, who, we just don't know because they've transferred and we'll have to see. Yeah, yeah. After that, it's pretty cloudy. I do think that with with Rogers, he was definitely the guy that I like most strongly considered that I ended up leaving off the list. Like I, I think he certainly belongs in that tier and. If if you're talking about like certainty, I I would say like going into the year, he he has a very good chance, especially to be better than Rattler. Like Rattler, I think has that like intrigue to him. But if I'm like, who am I certain is going to be better? It's definitely Will Rogers. And the the my only concern with him is like, you know, and this is always the question with guys like this is like how much of it's empty numbers in the Leech offense because we know like I think Mississippi State fans, you know, they're a little newer to this now, but like every single time a quarterback in Mike, Mike Leach's system, their numbers are going to look better. Like, that's just how it is. And so I, I, you can make an argument, like, don't get me wrong. You can make an argument just based on the way he plays that he belongs in the top five. And I think that's a pretty good argument, but I don't think that using the numbers are a fair way to look at that because we've seen historically that every single time a quarterback is in the Mike Leach system, their numbers are just different. Like it's, it's always going to look like that. And so it doesn't mean that Rogers is automatically not as good because of that. But if the argument is only based on that, then that I think it becomes a little more difficult. And then, yeah, with Levis, I mean, I just think with Levis, like it's the same issues that we talked about with Richardson. Like he threw 13 interceptions last year. You know, he wasn't super efficient through the air. He does kind of have that, you know, physical upside, but I look at Richardson and I see more athletic upside there. So it's like, if I'm going to bet on a guy with athletic upside, I might as well take the guy that I'm more confident in with that, that when both of these guys have shown that they're going to make mistakes sometimes. So yeah, I, I agree with you there on the potential thing. Um, and then, you know, what's funny is when I, like when I was doing some research on this, there was some list that had like Stetson Bennett as high as like two. And I was like, okay, wow. Like this is like, that took me a little bit by surprise, but yeah, I, I think after those seven that we mentioned, then I think you start getting into some more difficult decisions. Like, you know, where's Haynes King or Max Johnson going to be? Where's, where's Stetson Bennett going to be? What about, you know, Miles Brennan or Jaden Daniels at LSU? And then I think Bennett probably fits in at like that eight, nine, 10 range. But I, I have a really hard time seeing Bennett being better than anybody else that we named. Yeah. Just to talk about Stetson Bennett again, and I know I've already kind of roasted him a lot, but 
it's hard because people want to make the quarterback position the position, and it is. But just because he happened to be on the uh, – it, it was a rare case last year where the, that team won the national championship in spite of the fact that Stetson Bennett was their quarterback. <laughs> it wasn't because Stetson Bennett was so great that they won the national championship. Now, hats off to him. He made the plays he needed to make to win the game, and that's great for him. You know, Nobody's going to take that away. But it says something when all year Kirby still was like, we might bring JT Daniels back. We don't know. Like, if that's the thing all year, then you're probably not that great of a quarterback. So you put any of these quarterbacks on that Georgia roster, yeah, they may not fit the system, but they're more talented than Stetson Bennett. So the team is what makes him good, not Stetson Bennett makes the team good. And like I said, not saying he's not a quarterback that deserves to play for that team because he won a national championship. But yeah, it's, it's insane to think that he should be on the list because I mean, if we're looking at this, if who's is, who's, who's going to be good in the NFL, I mean, Stetson Bennett's not even getting drafted. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I will say like, yeah, quarterback's the most important position, but like here's some quarterbacks that have made the Super Bowl recently. Jimmy Garoppolo, Jared Goff, Nick Foles. That was three years in a row. Those guys made the Super Bowl. Colin Kaepernick and Joe Flacco played each other in the Super Bowl. Like, Rex Grossman made a Super Bowl. Jake DeLome made a Super Bowl with the Panthers. Rich Gannon, Brad Johnson. Like, you, Trent Dilfer made a Super Bowl with the Ravens. That's the comparison. Trent Dilfer, best defense ever, okay quarterback. But, like, success does not always have to come from the quarterback. Now, most times, it's almost impossible to have a good enough team otherwise but that's what Georgia had. That's what we know Georgia had. Their defense was that good. So yeah, like I don't, I don't know. I don't really want to spend a whole another season dogging on Stetson Bennett because that's like I feel like whenever he's brought up, that's kind of what happens. Just because I think there's a natural overreaction sometimes with him. But yeah, like when ranking him, like I think it's kind of crazy to have him have him that high. Yeah, and I, I'm glad you brought up the NFL one because. Nobody is putting Jimmy Garoppolo in a, in the top five quarterbacks. I mean, he's not even in the top fifteen. It bar- if he no. is barely. So no. golf is probably not top twenty five for a lot of people. Right, now. like that. It's it's crazy. So Stetson Bennett is the same mold. It's not a slide on him. It's just let's put him in the proper perspective. Let's you know let's frame it the right way and not make him to be something he's not. But anyways, like you said, I'm not here to dog on Stetson Bennett all day. I'm glad he's found success and and he really is you know somebody to look up to for somebody who's not that good at being quarterback <laughs> all right yeah. that's how we're going to close the episode and so Sully Sully had uh Rattler uh Hooker Anthony Richardson KJ Jefferson and then finally uh Bryce Young in his top five and I think that's all pretty accurate you know I said Will Rogers Will Levis could make the case but those seven are the best all right so one more thing yeah and that's what I was going to say actually I think after we talked about it I do think I'd probably have Will Rogers at five I think one, one thing that I didn't think about that I had previously could thought about with Rattler as well is it it's very hard to think of a case where a guy shows up and is very good for a little bit and then is bad for a while and then gets back to being that high level player like it's it's pretty rare we see that recovery happen and so with guys like you know with a guy like Anthony Richardson we haven't really seen him like fail yet so I'm a little more uh you know excited to swing on that upside with Rattler, I do think that it is uncertain enough, and there's a chance he's just average. That I do think Rogers probably deserves that fifth spot. So yeah, I would. I'd probably after we talked about it, I'd probably insert Will Rogers at five, and then have Rattler at six. 
Yeah, and you'll notice with your list what we value, right? Um, none of those guys have transferred. I mean, if you're transferring to another school, maybe there's a reason, right? Or if they have transferred, obviously Young hasn't. I don't know, if, but they've all played. I think for Hooker the, has. Okay. Oh yeah, Hooker has. But okay, my point is they played for the team they played for last year. Like yeah. they're all coming back, and so we've seen them do it at this school. Whereas some of those other guys. We haven't seen them do it at their current school, which is why they're not on the list. Um, and I think, you know, that's the case. Is you've proven you can win in the SEC, then you're probably a pretty good quarterback. And that's the case. All right, that's going to wrap up our episode today. Just the first of many in football. I haven't told Sully exactly how we're going to plan it out, but we're definitely going to do a fantasy episode coming up. Then we'll do, a, a, you know, kind of a week one college football then a NFL, a full NFL preview. So a lot of football coming up. I know that's what everybody is looking forward to. So that's kind of what we're planning on, uh, you know, kind of talking about for the next two or three months or however long, you know, we continue to make these episodes. All right. Thanks a lot for coming on. Really appreciate your time. Congratulations again on the engagement. That's the number one most important thing. <laughs> and uh, we'll see you next time.